and carry the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, claims of the paranormal. No, 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 no. We either take part ourselves and or talk to someone who's an expert. Yep. When they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Ross Blotcher. I'm Carrie Poppy. This time we showed up at an author's house. Yes, we showed up at the home of Dr. Carol Tavris. I was excited that you'd reached out to Carol Tavris because, well, she's one of my favorite authors. She wrote your actual favorite my book. My actual favorite book. I've talked about it on the podcast before. If you know me, I've probably put this in front of you at some point. It's called Mistakes Were Made, But Not By Me. <laughs> How We Justify Foolish Beliefs, Acts, Hurtful Decisions, something like that. I'm, I'm paraphrasing the subtitle. <laughs> the subtitle is Why We Justify Foolish Beliefs, Bad Decisions, and Hurtful Acts. There we go. It's fantastic. It's all about cognitive dissonance on personal level, all the way up to governmental actions, just how this affects our lives. And one of those things where if you're aware of it as sort of a tool in your life, I don't know, for me, it's like it's the best version of a self-help book because it's just mm. educating you about a piece of psychology that's so useful. And that's Dr. Carol Tavris's beat, Social Psychology. Yes. So she got her PhD in Social Psychology from the University of Michigan in 1971. And since then, she has spent a lot of her energy on educating the public about psychological issues, which I really appreciate as a person who's obsessed with these things. Like It's such a skill to actually understand this on an expert level yes. and be able to translate it to a popular understanding. Right, right. She's, she's one of those like top 10 people in the U.S. who can do that very, very well. Yes. She has that special mix of skills where not only does she understand the importance of the science and the content of the science, but also she is a gifted explainer, a very good writer, and mm -hmm. just a funny person as well. She's, She's really funny. Good sense of humor. In fact, when we came to her home to record this, because she she welcomingly invited us to her mm -hmm. home, I came to her door and I, I must have been doing some like jumpy little motion as I sort of looked around at my surroundings. And so she started doing this dance and then I started doing a dance so we we're just <laughs> dancing at each other before she even opened the door. Yeah, I love her energy. And she's got a lot of great books, including one very relevant to our last episode. If you heard it, hopefully you did, on Rage Rooms. Yes. Especially Rage Ground Los Angeles. Uh, that's where we were. She wrote Anger, the Misunderstood Emotion. Yes. Funny enough, I had bought this book a while ago just at a used bookstore. I was like, hmm. oh, Carol Tavers wrote a book about anger. I had no idea. And so when this came up, I was like, oh, I think I have a book by Carol Tavers somewhere about this. Fantastic. And in particular, one thing that I was always interested in and never really knew what the science says about it is whether anger, whether catharsis works, basically, mm, mm -hmm. whether anger is something that gets pent up and you have to let it out or whether just waiting it out is just as effective, if not more. I really didn't know the answer to that question. And so we'll explore that with Carol here. And it's also very well articulated in her book, which we recommend. Yeah. So uh, here we are at her kitchen table. She's given us some fine New Zealand wine. <laughs> she sure did. That was good wine. And here it is. So welcome, Dr. Carol Tavris. Very happy to be talking with you both. Yes. Glad uh, to have you here. I probably already, because we'll record a separate intro, I probably already bragged, but Carol Tavris <laughs> is the author of my all-time favorite book, Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me, which I recommend to everybody. Carrie's heard me do it many times. I'm yeah. surprised I still have my copy because I've lent it to so many people. Yeah, this isn't Ross blowing wind up your butt. He really talks about your book a lot. But Carol has another book that's very relevant to our discussion today and our last episode, mm -hmm. and that's anger. The misunderstood emotion. 
I would say that drawing on important new research, anger actually explodes virtually every one of our conventional assumptions about this crucial emotion and how it affects our lives. Just off the top of your head? Yeah, that's kind of how I'd describe it. <laughs> well, welcome, Carolyn. Why are you so angry? <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. First of all, I'm really angry that I wrote this book so long ago. And has anyone taken my advice from the science <laughs> of anger? We don't seem to be living in a pacifistic, quiet, mild-mannered culture these days, do we? Um, and so my book that was the gave intended me a chance. Effect of that the was book. the intended. Of course, people are supposed to read this book and take the science It'll to heart and behave down. better. Yes, exactly. Annoying that they didn't. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel that that's sort of the takeaway message of the book? You know, no. One of the interesting things about the book is that people heard the message was going to be anger is bad. Never get angry. Mm -hmm. Never mm -hmm. express your anger. Just shut up and seethe. And of course, mm -hmm. that was never the point of the book. It is a social psychology of anger, not a clinical psychology view mm. of anger. That anger is, you know, you're having an anger disorder, an anger problem, and it's sitting there in you and you have to get it out. That is to say the individual way of looking at anger. Mm -hmm. I look at anger as a transaction between people or between us and the world. You rarely sit around in your living room just sitting there quietly feeling angry. You feel angry when... Fred walks in. In relation <laughs> you know, to others. In relation to others, exactly. Yeah. So the question is not, should we or shouldn't we express anger? The question is, how and when and where should we express anger to achieve the goals we want? And that's a very different question. Hmm. If people want to express anger by yelling and giving you the finger and Lord knows all the road rage we see in Los Angeles. If people just want to express anger in order to feel good and never mind where it lands, that's not a beneficial or healthy form of anger expression. But when people learn how to express anger to change the situation, to accomplish the changes they want to see, that's when it can be beneficial. Mm -hmm. But very often those are not the same ways of behaving, are they? And so anger, anger is something to be used cautiously and mindfully with awareness. It, it seems like often the, the polar opposites here that people want from a book like this is for you to say simply either, yes, let all your anger out or keep it all in. But you're saying that there's a far more detailed calculus of how you can use anger in your life. Well, exactly. And as you know from the history of skeptics, there's a resistance to simplistic 10 steps toward dealing with your angry spouse, <laughs> that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, because there isn't one size fits all. There's not one kind of anger for everybody. And there's not one thing that we all might be angry about or deal with in the same way. A great journalist many years ago said, what, what we need for social change is there's a time for revolution, there's a time for, for rage, a time for anger to draw attention to a problem. But then what you need, I love this idea, is the little flare of anger that keeps you motivated, mm -hmm. but requires you not to see the enemy as intransigent, stupid, evil, mm -hmm. and wrong, mm -hmm. but someone to be persuaded in ways that will achieve your goals. So anger, of mm -hmm. course, is an emotion we talk about from our everyday annoyances to the great feelings of how we are in the world these days with 
climate change and so much injustice. So you need to tell me where along that continuum <laughs> we want to have this conversation. Right. You can be angry that your internet connection is down, or you can be angry that somebody murdered your family. I myself have been known to pound my printer when I get really angry at it. <laughs> it's very embarrassing. And my editor, when I wrote this book, said, be careful. He said, you know, because the world will be waiting for anger expert runs amok, you know, oh, yeah. in a parking yeah, lot. Yeah. Be careful. Just right. be careful. Oh, yeah. Actually, before we get down to the brass tacks of what kind of <laughs> anger expression is useful towards certain ends, tell us about that. Because I think of, for example, Ellen DeGeneres has long been the person who at the end of her talk show says, be kind to everyone. Right. That really bit her in the butt when some of her former staff said, she's terrible. She's so mean to us. Whether that was true or not, the irony of it was so right. delicious. So as someone who's written a book, sort of asking people to consider their anger very carefully, do you find yourself monitoring yourself for any of this ironic anger that could come out? God damn it, no. <laughs> what kind of a rude question is that? <laughs> well, you know, related to your question is the assumption that many people had when the book first came out that I must be working out some anger problem. Oh, because, wonderful. You know, you, what, sure. Who were you mad at that made you want to write this book? Oh, no. Okay. And, but, you know, there must be some story. There must be some personal story. What's the rosebud here? Exactly. Yeah. And I never had the answer people wanted. The answer really was that my editor at Simon & Schuster, Fred Hills, lovely guy, said to me one day, say, what do you think about writing a book on anger? And I said, well, I don't know. What is there to say about anger? There it is. <laughs> the clinical psychologists have nailed it down, and they're busy having everybody yell at each that other. That really pissed him off. <laughs> well, he, he said, what do we know about anger? Mm. Mm. So I started looking into what clinical psychologists, many therapists, that is, were practicing or teaching in their notions of anger. And many of them came from the Freudian tradition that anger is a natural instinct, mm. that it fills us up like steam in a teapot, mm -hmm. and if it's not released, it will explode, and that that is bad for you both psychologically and physiologically. Mm. And I thought, well, now... That's an empirical question. Yeah. Is yeah. it still true? That's what now Freud himself never said run around ranting and yelling. Yeah. His view was we have to sublimate these emotions mm. for the benefit of society. That's not how Americans interpreted Freud. Right. Americans said, "Oh boy, good. Let's have everybody, you know, yelling and ventilating and shouting and that that's somehow going to be physically good for them." And sublimation was the converting of sexual anger and frustration into Well, other sublimation forms. was sexual primarily. You know, yeah. you can't, yeah, it was a, was indeed sublimating the sexual. Um, but it's sort of impulses. a translation, but not a keeping down, but a, a lateral yeah. move. Yes. Put it somewhere you, else. Yeah, displace it, use it in mm -hmm. some construction. It's a fungible way. resource, so yes. let's push it over here. Exactly. Okay. So I started looking at the research, and it really made me angry, because the research was absolutely <laughs> contradictory to what all these pop mm. therapists were telling people in their advice books and so forth. And so Fred said, well, okay, you know, hop to it. And I found as I was getting into this research, such fascinating stories. So there's one chapter on myths of suppressed anger. Mm -hmm. 
You know, if you suppress your anger, you'll get an ulcer. There was this ulcer hypothesis. This is before mm-hmm. we knew that it was H. pylori that right. was causing ulcers. Yeah. And so the idea is if you suppress it, you know, you'll get an ulcer, you do terrible things. For, for and, anybody who doesn't know that history, for a long time, people thought stress and ulcers were just inextricably linked. But it turns out it was a bacterium Yes. that was causing it. And that was a big scientific breakthrough. You might make it worse certain ways, but you yeah. can't, can't get an ulcer without that. Exactly. H. pylori. And the research was really interesting in this respect. I remember finding an article in a medical journal arguing that suppressed anger was related to ulcers. Mm. Uh, you know, they had, you know, two groups of people. They give them a choice of being able to express their anger or suppress their anger. Anyway, who gets ulcers? So I look at the abstract, which concludes that suppressed anger causes ulcers. And then I looked at the data in the article. Uh-huh. Okay. Which found a cardinal exactly sin, but okay. a cardinal <laughs> sin found exactly the opposite. Mm. It was one of those examples we see so often in science, I hate to say, but it's so, where so strong was the belief that suppressed anger was hazardous, the mm. researchers did not even see their own data. Oh, wow. Oh. I don't, they weren't was... being fraudulent, I don't think. Mm-hmm. They just didn't see it. Mm-hmm. They didn't see that their numbers had not reached statistical significance, and they and... inverted... The They're research funded. was conducted well enough that that information was there, and they wrote their own abstract, I presume. They did. Okay, but yet they were overruled by that understanding. There's this magic thing that happens in writing up many academic articles where in the methods and findings it says, well, our results nearly reached statistical significance. Uh, right. Not mm. quite. But by the time it has migrated to the abstract, it is, we found a strong relationship. Uh, yes. Okay. Okay. yes. So that was the kind of thing I kept uncovering. And then I found over and over in research, the evidence, the clear evidence that the more that children, young adults, adults were encouraged to express their anger in an angry way, the angrier they became, the more they rehearsed the reasons for their anger, Mm -hmm. and the longer their dislike of the other person persisted. There was a really charming study, for example, done of school children who were intentionally, I don't know, insulted or annoyed by, you know, another child. One group of the children were allowed to express their anger toward this bullying kid. One group of children were told something nice about the kid or to ignore the kid or something. Mm -hmm. And a third group was given a reason for the bully's misbehavior. Mm. A sympathetic understanding. A sympathetic understanding. The first group continued their anger at the bully, of course. The second group gave up their anger but didn't like the kid. Okay. Okay. And the second group had... What? They could they they were just told to ignore it or okay get, I I could not tell you with one hundred percent accuracy right. what the second group was but what it revealed to me and I think we all know this is that very often people can have what they think is a reasonable angry discussion and they think they have resolved the anger and yet they don't really want to see that person yeah again. okay the it's stank like the remains. Sli- it's like slime from a snail that re- the residual yep. Yep. discomfort and helpful that they separated those two factors mm-hmm. exactly but it was the third group who were given a sympathetic understanding of the mm. other child's behavior those kids went over to the bully to make friends with the bully mm. Uh, mm. and liked the bully more so i would find these wonderful studies field studies and experimental studies one after another confirming that when people express anger 
angrily, they become more aggressive, not less so. There is nothing cathartic about it at all. There was one psychoanalytically trained psychologist in my wonderful co-author Elliot Aronson's lab who was fully expecting that catharsis was going to make his uh, subjects show great physiological relief, and it was just the opposite. It just riled them up mm-hmm. you know, even more. Hmm. So as I was finding this research for the book, it just open doors to a new way of understanding what anger is and how it works and how it works in relationships. And by the way, because of course the notion about why catharsis works is that anger is an instinct, you know, it's just a natural thing. It it just comes and hits us and there's nothing we can do about it. It's like a fear response to being attacked um, and that we have no control over it. And of course, sometimes that's true when anybody, when you're attacked, you you feel frightened and you feel angry. Mm -hmm. What we don't realize, I think this was one of the main contributions of this book, we don't realize the role of our perceptions and expectations in generating that anger or in reducing it. So you can insult your beagle's mother (laughs) and your beagle will not bite you. Okay, why is a human mad if you insult their mother? Mm. So we are the only species that says the more I thought about it, the matter I got. Mm. We have all this symbolic language, so we have so many more things to be angry about. We do. And, and we start thinking right. about that event that happened. And, hey, that wasn't fair, and that wasn't right. And, you know, wait a minute. Mm. Just hold on a second. I should really be angry about this. But, of course, the other side of that is we're the only species that can say, the more I thought about it, the less mm. angry I got. Mm. Mm-hmm. That we if know of. That I've never been a chimp, but probably. Chimps <laughs> are mean bastards. Now, oh, bonobos, okay. <laughs> bonobos is something else entirely. Oh, yes, I've heard about those a bonobos. Bonobo, you insult a bonobo, and mm-hmm. it will just want to have sex with you and mm-hmm. lie around right, with you all I've afternoon. Right, I've heard about that. Exactly. Insult a chimp, that guy, but okay. she'll tear your face off. Don't even yeah. insult a chimp. Okay. No, truly. <laughs> we bring you all the useful, actionable information on Ono Ross and <laughs> Exactly right. So this book came out at a time just before the wave of cognitive behavior therapy as a movement within psychology. Aaron Beck's creation. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Rest in peace, Aaron. What a terrific guy. He's alive. Tim Beck. I'm sure he will rest in peace. He's alive. No. Aaron Beck? Did he just die? He just died. You're kidding. Like in the last few weeks. weeks. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Truly, rest in peace, Aaron Beck. I just emailed yeah. him like three weeks ago. Oh no! And uh, spoke to him. Oh my gosh! Oh, no. I think he well, was nearly a hundred. He was. He 100. was. He had just turned a hundred. Yeah. Holy moly! Well, you can imagine he and I had many a conversation over this. I'm sure. Over yeah. This book. Oh, and, really having a moment here, but okay. Well, <laughs> Go yeah. on. It was yeah. a big loss. Yeah. Big, what a life! What a contribution mm-hmm. he made! And <laughs> so, so at the time of my book, the idea that anger had had a cognitive component, yeah. a cultural component, a perceptual component, that it wasn't just a, a natural thing that wells up in you and that we have no control over, Yeah, that there's a reason for old-fashioned motherly advice, count to 10, mm-hmm. count to 100, right. count mm-hmm. to 3,000, you know? There's so many aphorisms and little pieces of daily advice mm-hmm. around anger and dealing with anger because it, it is an everyday occurrence, experience that we feel we have to deal with in some way or another. This is interesting. Interesting, though, because you're giving me the impression that it really matters how you spend that count to 10. If you count to 10 and you're saying, maybe he said that and he didn't mean it, he probably Mm -hmm. is coming from this from a different place, you're probably going to cool down. If you spend those 10 seconds thinking, 
well, you're really fucked up on that one. I <laughs> can't wait to figure out what to say to him. You're probably going to make it worse. Well, you are, because here are the two components of anger, and there, it's, it's not as simplistic as I'm now going to sound, but mm-hmm. this is the gist. Anger does have a physiological element. There's that adrenaline. There's that energy mm-hmm. of feeling angry. I describe this as the difference between a person driving a car and the passenger. Mm. Why is it that a jerk cuts in front of you and it's the driver who's furious? The passenger doesn't want to chase the person off the road Mm. and shoot Mm. them. Well, why? They're both equally Mm. inconvenienced. They're equally inconvenienced, equally at risk of the Mm -hmm. jerk driver, yeah? Mm -hmm. But the Mm -hmm. driver has a baseline energy level caused by being in charge of driving, just as you would be if you were jogging down the street or dancing or having worked out in a workout Mm. session. Your energy is up, and now if you add the flame of an insult Mm -hmm. to that already arousal, you're going to feel more intensely angry Mm. than if you get the same provocation while sitting quietly on your sofa. Right. Um, It's true, isn't it? Does the element of agency affect that at all? Just the fact that you have the steering wheel? Well, you have the steering wheel, so you're prepared constantly to cope with what's being thrown at Mm -hmm. you as you're driving. So you are hyper alert driving the car yeah. um, okay. in a way that the passenger isn't. So, you, you, okay, you are chemically primed. You're, you're primed. That, that's a good word for it. You're literally physiologically aroused. Your heart rate's up. And, you know, you're, you, you are primed. And so, Carrie, when you mentioned what are we doing in those 10 seconds or mm-hmm. 100 seconds, the answer is are we already inflamed, which is going to make us want to say, how dare that person, you mm-hmm. know? I have a story in the book of a guys who were in the locker room after a quite intensive workout, and one of them bumped into the other. It's just a bump. And before you know it, they're beating each other <laughs> up, and then there's lawsuits and Lord knows what else, just because... They were cooling off after this workout session. Mm. And later, they both felt incredibly stupid. Mm -hmm. But then, of course, to bring up another book, they had to justify how stupidly (laughs) they had behaved (laughs) toward each other. Right, work backwards to an explanation. And they going to work backward from that one. Exactly. So in this way, many people get into angry disputes and then don't see a way to save face and back down from them. Right. But it is the reason for that count to 10 or count to 300. Actually, I mean, <laughs> when I was growing up, there was the old, you know, don't go to bed angry mm-hmm. advice right. to come. From the Bible. There you go. Well, this is completely ridiculous. First of all, <laughs> <laughs> first of all, if you have an argument late at night, neither of you is going to get any sleep. So you should go to bed angry. And in the morning, mm. one of two things will happen. You'll have forgotten what you were angry about because mm-hmm. it was trivial and Classic, important. Classic, yeah. Or it is important. You know what, honey? We really have to talk about this because actually mm-hmm. it matters. But you'll have had a good night's sleep. And so mm-hmm. now you can talk about it in a way that isn't in the heat of anger. The takeaway from this book is, for most people, and by no means all, I want to preface this by saying some people just love a good rip-roaring argument. They mm-hmm. love yelling and screaming and shouting at each other. It's a sign of love. It's it is a sign cathartic. of the, it, Well, no, it's a sign of the love that falleth from the heavens. I don't look how is, passionate I am about look how, you. Exactly. Yeah. It right. seems like certain cultures lay claim to that as sort of a, almost a, a badge of honor. Exactly right. It is a cultural language, and it means I care, and it means I mm-hmm. love. Now, Marriage Central sees to it that someone from that culture. Marry someone from the, I hate anger, I don't want it in the house, it makes me sick to my (laughs) stomach, and Mm. I don't want to argue with you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's when you mentioned (laughs) at the beginning that people have different anger languages, that's a good example of it. 
What does anger mean for you? Does it feel like the only way to get the other person's attention? Mm. And in many cases, you know, it, it can be. But by and large, those kinds of rip-roaring fights don't go anywhere. They end up repeating themselves over mm-hmm. and over mm-hmm. again, precisely because neither side feels heard and the problem that's made them angry isn't resolved. So there's a blow up, then both sides retreat to their sullen corners to brood and sulk. And then the resentment builds up again, and then there's another blow up. So this you, is not useful. You could make an argument for it if somehow there were a, a higher plateau on the other side, but you're saying there, there is none. If that's the cycle, and it's the cycle that many couples mm-hmm. get into because... They don't really know what they're arguing about. Something has annoyed them about the other person. Sometimes it's just something about the other person that isn't going to change. And having repeated arguments about that quality, will you change your eye color for God's sake? <laughs> I've been telling, asking you this for years. If it's something unfixable, then having repeated arguments about it is, is debilitating. And of course, it doesn't solve anything, does it? So generally speaking, a better approach is not the I'm right, you're wrong, I'm angry, you're angry, but what is it that we need to fix? What can we both do so that we don't have these repeated angry arguments? What behavior change would you like in me? Exactly. What would I like in you? Let's just pragmatically lay out all the components and talk about them. So, you know, for example, many couples think that when they live together as a couple, it's a surgical procedure that joins them at the hip. And so they have to go everywhere together and sort of do certain things together. So I had two friends. He was a Southern guy who moved very slowly. And he just got to the airport. This was in the days when you could get to the airport at the ultimate hour. (laughs) He would get there, you know, 20 some minutes before the plane left. This made her insane. Insane. Okay, she she was right. (laughs) Yes, thank you. (laughs) She certainly was. (sighs) But you can see how this would be crazy making. Somebody likes to be places on time and the other person likes to be there two days early or three days late. And so so they started going to their dinner parties separately. Oh, uh that's all. Okay. 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 That was the solution. that. That was a solution. So in situations like that, it's not that one is right and one is wrong. People have different habits. They have different ways of doing things. And either you accept how they are, or you try mutually to come up with a solution that isn't about expressing anger. It's about solving the issue, mm-hmm. so if it's a solvable Know thyself one. and know thy partner as and well. Know thy partner. So to call back your earlier example, what if someone really does need to have that nighttime conversation or they're going to be up all night and you have this asymmetric relationship where the other one just, I need sleep, I've got to wake up at five. That happened to my husband and me. Actually. Asking for a friend. No. <laughs> Are you two married? I can tell you for a. Fr- I can tell you for a friend. I can tell you my friend's story, okay. which is pretty. No, that's okay. Um, well, all right. So that's that's. There's no compromise on that one, is there? No, right. of course not. Mm-hmm. So I would. Su- I'm not supposed to be giving advice. I'm not a clinical psychologist. This is against the law. Wait a minute. Can we call me this something else? Okay. Um, good old-fashioned. My uh, thoughts. Okay. My thoughts on this. <laughs> if somebody has to be up at five and really is able to sleep, mm-hmm. go to sleep. And the other person who's seething and fuming should count to a thousand or write it down. Just write mm. it down. Go mm. to your desk and write it all down, why you are so right to be angry and why this other person is so <laughs> thoughtless, mean, and horrid. Okay. And you write it all down, and in the morning it will seem extremely silly, 
one hopes, or extremely accurate, but at least one of you's had a good night's sleep and the other got to express what it is. I'm, I'm a big fan of writing things down because very often the process of writing it down, first of all, it focuses mm-hmm. what exactly you're feeling and what you are angry about. And then truly later you look back on this and say, did I write that? Did mm-hmm. I feel that? Mm-hmm. Did I think that? Here's where I went off the trail. Yeah. It, it gives you actually some evidence to bring to the discussion. I'm an advocate of the angry email and then the actual email. <laughs> uh, oh, see, oh, yes. See. The angry email Write draft. it without yeah. sending it. This is the most important lesson anybody yeah. ever needs to know. Take ever. them off the to field just so you don't yeah. accidentally <laughs> yes. click send. Don't, no accidental sends. Yeah. We've all done that, haven't we? No, my own story was I had to get up at five o'clock in the morning. We were, my husband and I were living in New York and I had to get up at five in the morning for an interview. So we went to bed and you know how when you can't sleep, you just lie there mm-hmm. like a log Mm-hmm. And I was trying, he's a light sleeper and I was trying not to bother him. And so I was just lying there as quietly, but tensely as I could. When suddenly he leapt out of bed saying, just because you can't go to sleep is no reason to keep the rest of us up. Wow. Oh, wow. He was really upset. And I said, this isn't a group marriage. There are no rest of us in the bed here. <laughs> <laughs> What are you so angry about? Anyway, he, stor- he stormed out of the room. And Why did I marry someone so smart? Indeed. <laughs> so, so now I, this was a, okay, anger expert, mind your, mind your own lessons. Mm. What should I do? It was on the tip of my tongue to run in and say, how could you be so thoughtless? You know I have to get up at five in the morning, and now I'm never going to get to sleep, and now you've really made me angry, and I think what you did was thoughtless and rude. I mean, I could have really mm-hmm. done a thing. Or I could count mm. to mm. one billion. One billion. <laughs> one billion. Yeah, now it's five. One <laughs> billion. You know how long it takes to count to yeah, one billion? Okay. Long, long, time. Time. long time. Long time. So I'm sitting there counting <laughs> when he came back into the room with a cup of tea and sat down by the side of the bed and said, There, there, dear. <laughs> we both had a cup of tea and that was done. Aww. That was done. Now, see, nothing needed to be said. Mm-hmm. Nothing needed to be said. Yeah. But if I'd inflamed it, it would have been stupid and, and wrong. So, but it, it did take time, though. Time was an important element. And that, and 412. That did I get to 412? <laughs> okay. I don't even know. It wasn't very long is the point. I mean, he felt silly for having stormed out of the room. and mm-hmm. it was. But, you know, these are... These kinds of angers are the sneezes of everyday life. You know, they, they just they sort of happen and then right. they're done. And if you don't add to them, you don't get the flu. You know, they don't keep going. And then there are the serious ones, of mm-hmm. course, the things we have. Times when we're prolonged. justifiably angry. Well, there's justifiable anger, of course. Look around us, all the injustices around us personally and yeah. socially and culturally, mm-hmm. how we live with those, how we live with them in a way that lets us move forward without exhausting ourselves yeah. in battles that we may or may not be able to win. I found the other day a letter that my mother wrote in 1976. She was a businesswoman in California, one of the few women insurance agents. And she wrote this dazzling letter of criticism to some men who were promoting how to sell to women. How mm. to sell to women. Hmm. Sexist nasty, demeaning. My mother wrote the most fabulous letter, and I thought, hmm, well, I may be a chip, but she was sure the block, you know? Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, and she she got a law degree in 1927 in Chicago. Holy moly. Wow. And it was a holy moly. And she just went, she just, she taught me persistence in the fight against sexism and other injustices, persistence and humor and persuasiveness. Mm-hmm. 
And she told me about the long arc of history. Mm-hmm. You know, when my generation came up with feminism, we thought, okay, three or four years, that's all it'll take. You know, we'll get this done here. <laughs> Thank you so you much know? for doing that for oh, my yeah. generation. Yes, I'm so glad it's over. Yes, oh, I see. Thank you. I accept your, <laughs> I accept your thing. <laughs> so, you know, she said, uh-uh. People think, you know, society is a horse. You know, you kick it and it just moves forward. She <laughs> yeah. said, no, society is a mule. You kick it and it balks and throws you off. Uh-huh. She said, you got to get back on the mule. Yeah. It's a long, and of course, skeptics know this. You never debunk something and then it's done. Mm-hmm. You have to re-debunk it and undebunk it and mm-hmm. you keep bunking it. Uh, you know, it's just like an endless bunking, <laughs> re-debunking. Unsinkable rubber ducks, as exactly. James Randi called them. That's mm-hmm. right. I asked Stephen Jay Gould once how he kept his momentum going on this and he said, well, imagine how much further down the hill we'd be with the boulder if we didn't keep trying. There we yeah. go. There we go. You hand so, it to the next guy. Hand it to the next guy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but we digress. <laughs> well, don't worry. That's our favorite thing to do. Yes. So, okay. One of the things that I'm getting from this conversation is that on a personal level, anger can be sometimes destructive. If you can, if you're heading it though toward a goal, there may be an appropriate use for it. And I'm thinking of social movements now. You know, I think of the murder of George Floyd, like clearly had an impact Mm -hmm. on how his trial played out and should have. Mm -hmm. So how, what would be your suggestion, your thoughts for Mm -hmm. someone who has that sort of very noble anger, but it's not something about their immediate personal life. How do you direct that in a useful way? Right. Well, you know, the chapter in the anger book is a rage for justice. And Mm. it was about the women's movement, actually, of that Mm -hmm. time. Because when you first become aware, now see, notice, again, this is a perception, this is the perceptual aspect of anger, of suddenly becoming aware of injustices that you had not been Mm, aware of. mm -hmm, And so mm -hmm. suddenly there's like this boom effect of more to be angry about that had never occurred to me to be angry about. Mm -hmm. Now we're doing Mm -hmm. retroactive Mm -hmm. anger. (laughs) Hey, look at the way these people were portrayed in this movie from 79 years ago. How dare they? How dare they? Because that was then. Lots to be angry about. But the nature of all social movements, well, I love Bertrand Russell on this, all social movements go too far. Hmm. And they go too far for this reason. You want the initial rage for awareness and unity mm-hmm. and motivation. Mm-hmm. That's what happened with George Floyd, of course. Mm-hmm. Suddenly suddenly there was awareness, mm-hmm. new perceptions of injustice that just made everybody furious. And, and like you use anger on an interpersonal level to get a reaction. To but now you're trying to do it from a society. Well, yes, to say to the powers that be... We're mad as hell and we're not going to take it anymore. <laughs> you know, we're really angry about this. But the next phase for all angry revolutionaries is the hardest one because it's the next phase that anything gets done. Mm. The first phase is just feel-good rage. Okay. Yeah, we did. it's feel-good rage. It's being out on a march. It's feeling the unity of, with other people who feel the way you do. It's the exhilarating justification of righteous mm-hmm. righteousness. Yeah. Sure. This reminds me of is, like um, revolution. You know, you get the, the populace all riled up and excited. Okay, great. Now you've seized the reins of power. Now what do you do? As Barbara Tuckman said, all oppressed groups in time put on the robes of those whom they have overthrown. Mm. Because that's the nature of power. Mm. But the ne- that's why I say the next phase after the righteous revolutionary fervor at the beginning is the work. Now comes the work. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's the long work of change. 
what organizations need to do, what institutions need to do, what individuals need to do. Well, to bring it back to something not nearly as circumstantial and important, uh, mm-hmm. what about rage brooms? <laughs> so, oh, rage. <laughs> so Ross and I went to this place last week that allows you to come and beat up on stuff (laughs) in order to get out your rage. And they weren't specific about the kind of rage that might be, but I got the impression this might be interpersonal rage, it might be worldwide rage, it might be rage at climate change, to use the biggest example available. Yeah, they didn't sit us down for a short therapy session (laughs) to get us to enumerate our rage or to print out pictures of Mitch McConnell and put them on (laughs) the things we were going to hit. You know, nothing like that. Well, now that would have, I would go into that. (laughs) We did try to get you to come. uh, You did. Can I bring a few (laughs) photos that I'd like to? (laughs) Absolutely, as long as we can share our photos of it to anybody who wants the anger expert hitting Well, you needed to have interviewed people who've been through it and find out what they think. You had a chance to do some good research here. Well, we did it. We were the people. No, but you're you. Mm -hmm. I mean, you need to know who would have gone in order to exorcise some rage That's true. We are a sample size of four in this case. Yeah. Well, Well, I did think about the worst boss I've ever had while beating up on that car. I I tried to. Mm Because I was telling Ross beforehand that I find anger relatively hard to access. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's a culture thing. I don't know if it's a biological thing. I guess it doesn't matter. But generally, it's probably my least accessed emotion. If someone else is angry, and Ross will tell you this is true, someone else is angry, I can overreact with fear. I can be like, oh my God, this person is pissed at me. What do I do? I have to do anything to make them happy, which is just as detrimental. So then when I was in this room going like, okay, okay, get mad. Here we go. Okay, time to be pissed off. I uh, I tried to think of my boss from 2012 who was horrible to me. And I was like, okay, here we go. Think of that guy. And I was able to access it for maybe 30 seconds while I beat on the, <laughs> the car. <laughs> okay. And then it just sort of evaporated because that's not, it's not a familiar thing to me. It's not easy for me to combine those ugly memories yeah. and... And I, I tried to bring a friend who I felt could connect to that other side. My, my good friend Charles, he does associate often with the feeling of anger. He mm. feels like he can lay claim to that as an emotion. Uh, of course, he was excited by the prospect of, yeah, let's hit stuff. This sounds great. But he said that in the moment, it didn't really, it didn't come out as an expression of anger. He started thinking about other things. All of us were thinking, what are they going to do with all these bottles afterward? I assume they're going to properly recycle <laughs> I them. I took one of the I bottles. they're going to recycle them. That's <laughs> yeah. what you're worried about. <laughs> I thought about that too. I was like, this is awfully wasteful. And he, yeah. It, and he said, because, you know, he's someone who I thought could have maybe connected with that emotion. And he said, no, not really. I wasn't angry while I was doing mm-hmm. all this. I didn't feel like I was letting anything out. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, that's it. That's why you were not good subjects for this because right. you weren't going in there with something you wanted to exorcise, you know, an ex partner or something. Did you not hear about my ex boss? I did hear he about was your ex boss. Terrible. But that was tw- that was a few years ago. It so. was nine years ago. Well, it was nine years and ago. There, exactly. There's an interesting element of self selection as well because you're paying two hundred forty bucks <gasps> for half an hour. What? For mm-hmm. half an hour? For mm-hmm. two people. I'm in the wrong business. <laughs> it's, a sh- it's very difficult when you're ethical about these things. Uh, psychology, yeah. You know, right? It's, it's um, quite the uh, mm. pair of handcuffs. Well, so well, should I expect my rage to get worse because I 
no, had, no, no. I channeled you, it. You know what? Beat I, up on I, this car. I, I hate to say this, but you just had a good time. That, <laughs> you know, that, that, that's what I think, I think happened to you both. Yeah. You know, you went, you experimented with this thing. You took a look at this and thought, well, is this what people do for two hundred forty dollars? Poor them. But you didn't. Mm. You didn't have the experience. That's why I asked if you had interviewed anybody who went there because they were trying to deal with their anger at something. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. I remember in the family therapy days before there was a rage room, there were therapists who would, as I mentioned to you, have the each, the partners hit each other with soft bats. Right. Sometimes if it was an individual in therapy, they would be induced to take an ashtray and break it, you know, get angry enough, have the ashtray represent your partner and oh then smash God. it to bits. I would I, hate this. I, I, I want to yeah. say it was the very first Simpsons episode. If not, it was very early, but back when they were still on the Tracy Ullman show, they go see a therapist who has them hit each other and then Bart realizes if you take off the foam padding it hurts more <laughs> so and then they're zapping each other with like a Milgram like setup yeah, you know see? oh absolutely right well I think you know what it did for people who are conflict averse yeah. who don't like anger don't like to express anger and so forth was the idea was to get them to admit that they're really angry I mean I just have to say I hate this stuff because I don't find it very <laughs> Useful, I find it malevolent and mm. not very helpful. I have a very dear friend who tries to live by kindness, and he says, feeling angry is like drinking poison and hoping the other person will die. I love I that phrase. That. Yeah. It's exactly right. That's what people <laughs> do. They feed their anger. And for some people, you know, certainly in dissolving relationships, Remaining angry is the punishment for the partner. Mm. See, mm-hmm. in the marriage chapter, one thing I said is that people think that love is the opposite of anger, which it's mm. not. The opposite of anger is indifference. It's indifference. Mm. Boy, I don't the opposite care of a enough. lot of things seem to be indifference, yeah. though. I well, keep hearing right. that indifference saying. Really? Yeah, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah, you yeah. never heard that? No. Uh, the one I always oh. hear is the opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference. Well, they got that from my book. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, was, fair no, enough, fair I'm enough. Just, I'm sorry, I'm being silly. But that, <laughs> just check the date okay, on okay. that book. <laughs> I will, I will. We'll see. I mean, that book is really old. Okay. No, but, but um, the point is that many people preserve their feelings of anger at the other person as a kind of continuing... You know, they con- it mm. continues the war, a uh, continuing punishment. Mm-hmm. A forced separation. Whatever it might be. And look at separations of course, induce a great deal of anger and sorrow and guilt and remorse. I mean, every kind of stew of feelings because relationships are physical attachments. Yeah. Separating from someone you've loved is a difficult thing emotionally and biologically it's different. Mm-hmm. You know? So, of course, it, a lot of emotions are generated, but it's why the best ally a person can have in a divorce, I'd say, mm-hmm is a friend who keeps them from going too far, mm. saying the things they shouldn't say. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to sit on you now and keep, yeah. you from, keep you from doing that. Things you know? that you You're not going to go later. over there and burn their garden down. You know? I, I'm, I'm seeing the long game a little better than you are right now. Yeah, that's, uh, what, that's what that is person saying. is saying, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Granted, I totally see that you know, we went into this uh, rage room without a lot of personal rage. But this has been tested, right? And this has been tried with a lot of different things. I think of primal scream therapy. You were talking about like hitting things and hitting other people, even when it comes to child rearing, you know, just let them have their tantrum, let them bang up the sofa or something like that. Uh, What what does the data tell us about that philosophy of anger as this well as this kind of like volcano of building pressure? It doesn't work. 
at its best, it doesn't work to get rid of the anger. It could be fun. Maybe it's fun to go into a rage room and bang up things. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't do anything. It's Mm -hmm. just like, I don't know what, uh, being in dodgem cars at an amusement park. It's Mm -hmm. just a thing to do. Or exercise, get that dopamine up. Exactly right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it's a good exercise. You know, bang, fine, if that's that's what you want to do. But in terms of anger, what it does... Well, not in the moment that you're in the rage room. You come out of the rage room, you say, well, that was that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in terms of... I can't believe that was so expensive. I'm tired. In terms of your dinner. boss, no. Yeah. Is that going to make you any less angry at your boss and how he treated you? I don't think so. Yeah, probably not. No, probably not. Um, Let me think about him. I still don't like him. See, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And by the way, you just said the relevant word. I still don't like him. See, All right. the ventilating of anger, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even if the other person says, oh dear, I'm so sorry, mm-hmm. it's not going to fix how you feel about that person or your desire to have a continuing relationship with that person. So the ventilating of anger that way, that rageful, wrathful, fulminating beating yeah. with bats and so forth, what it does is it's, it's adding fuel to the anger physiological fuel it's more arousing it's more energizing it's it's more stimulating it's having two cars cut in front of you on the road at once i mean it's just it's it's energizing plus it validates your explanation of the relationship or the person or the event Mm. Mm. that's why you know when people are really really upset or angry at a partner and what is it that we all want to do? We want to talk about it to friends who love us. Mm-hmm. So they can say, you are right and they are wrong. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And if so, if somebody says to you, Carol, could I just point out that, you know, your <laughs> view of uh, Harry there, you know, that actually not accurate. That's not the way he, do I want to hear that from my mm-hmm. friend? I'll mm-hmm. talk about anger. <laughs> okay? mm-hmm. you know, no, I don't want to hear that. So what happens, the more we talk about what a son of a bitch the other person was mm-hmm. and how wrong they did everything and how could they have treated me this way? How could they do that? How could, yeah. how could? All those things. And it doesn't mean that those are wrong perceptions. Yeah, those or thoughts wrong are beliefs. there. The what do we do there. with them? Exactly. The more we talk about them to our friends, we are rehearsing them. Mm-hmm. We are rehearsing them and entrenching them. And with each rehearsal, and as you know from talking to Beth Loftus, our memories will change also yep. to support and justify mm-hmm. our interpretation of that person's terrible, terrible behavior mm-hmm. until until we have now the anger of righteousness in our way. Mm-hmm. And it means that somebody who tries to get us to see it a different way will be in our line of fire. But mm-hmm. that's what cognitive therapy would be ideally designed to do. Are mm-hmm. your beliefs mm-hmm. about this person accurate or not? Did they intentionally treat you this way or not? My mother was a was a natural cognitive therapist. I came home from school when I was 13 or something, and I was livid because my best friend, I waved to her across the street and she didn't wave back, and now clearly she wasn't my best friend. I was really in a froth about this. How could she not mm. wave to me? What's <laughs> My mother said, Maybe she didn't see you. I said, of course she saw me. What's the matter with you? Of course she saw me. It was right across the street. I saw her. Yeah. She said, well, you just had to get a pair of glasses, didn't you? Maybe she needs glasses too. And you are wearing glasses right now. My so. mother was... <laughs> <laughs> but it, it hadn't occurred to me. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you'd run with the narrative course, and intensified yeah. it. And so I had saw her the next day. I said, you know, how come you didn't 
waved to me when I saw you. She said, I didn't see you. Yeah. Okay. So that's tiny, but that's a metaphor of how often we do that. There are people who are disposed to see the negative in another person's behavior. Right. Elliot Aronson, my dear friend, said, the best guide to life as far as he's concerned is benefit of the doubt. Give the yes. other person mm-hmm. the benefit of the doubt until you have reason to believe otherwise. Your life will be a lot easier. I think that's one of the most valuable concepts we can learn. It is. I, it's absolutely true. He had a friend who had written to him and said, so can we have an, an appointment? Can we get together? Da, 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 da. And then he didn't answer because he was busy. Something mm-hmm. happened. I don't know what. And she wrote to him and she said, well, I have my answer. <laughs> what? Yeah. What? What? I didn't see your question. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's, we all know people like this who are just quick to have the angry interpretation mm-hmm. of the event. Sure. Rather than a forgiving But we all one. can go that way, too, even mm-hmm. those yeah. of us who, you know, hope that we aren't like that all the time. Even the we best of us who that. have written books on this topic. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> yes, including moi. Okay, but whoa, 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 whoa. That's a lot of woes. Ross, Carrie, Dr. Carol Tavris, stop. Okay. I've got to tell you about bras. This is a good time to talk about that. Yes. Tell me about bras. What about, I don't know, third love? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm wearing a third love bra right now, maybe. I think that's right. Um, you can check. I'll look away. Um, never mind. No, I'm not. I wish I were. <laughs> the third love bra is the most comfortable bra on the market. You heard it here. It is a very, very good bra. Very comfortable. Has those special non-slip straps. I should have known I wasn't wearing one because my straps are slipping. Annoying. Yes. It's a- If I was carrying around boobs, I would want something to hold them up that did not slip. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. I agree. I'm Carol Taffers. Thank you. (laughs) And you know, with third love, comfort is always a given. So this holiday season, why don't you give the gift of comfort with third love? It's your one-stop shop for everything from ultra-soft loungewear to luxe intimate sets. And you speak from experience. Yes. You have third love bras. My wife has third love bras. So yes. I only know secondhand, mm-hmm. but I know from two women in my life that third love bras are excellent. They're comfortable. See? They don't. This is my personal favorite feature. They don't have the little tags that stick out. Yep. That's right. Because I'd always be like, oh, hold on, Carl. Let me get that for you. I'm going to pop that behind and it the itches. bra. it itches. It's uncomfortable. Yeah, right. It's an Why extra thing. Why do they do Just that? print it on print the- Print it on the bra. Exactly. Print it on the bra. So you've heard it. First person from me, second hand from Ross, third love from the bra. Whoa. It's a little bit of a stretch, but I think we all agree. Yeah, I really do love my third love bras. I think they're some of the most comfortable bras on the market. I really actually mean that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At least of the ones that I've got. And when you get these things in rotation and you don't really want to throw them out until they're done, blah, blah, blah. So I've got other bras in rotation, mm-hmm. but it's at that critical juncture where when the third love bra comes around, I'm like, thank goodness. It's, mm, today's mm-hmm. the day for the nice one. <laughs> and they have bras available in exclusive half cups. Ooh, They've exclusive. got underwear, loungewear, active wear in extra small through 3X. So a lot of different mm. options and a lot of different sizes. Oh my goodness. And the fitting room quiz is like a personal shopper, but better. It focuses on size, breast shape, current fit issues, and your personal style to find bras and underwear that are perfect for you. Third Love is the largest donor of undergarments in the U.S., huh. donating over $40 million worth of bras to help people in need. That's Damn. fantastic. Yeah, that is fantastic. And feeling is believing, right? So upgrade to everyday pieces that love your body as much as you do. 
<laughs> Maybe. I don't know. That's what the copy says. <laughs> I, I hope you love your body a little more than your bra loves it, but you want it to be close. And right now you can get 20% off your first order at thirdlove.com slash oh no. That's 20% off at thirdlove.com slash oh no. And back to Carol. No. No, no, please, no, friends, stop. I also want to tell you about websites. Wait, that's actually really important. Yes. Okay, I was kind of talking about anger right now. Stop, Carol Taffers, stop. I need to tell you about <laughs> websites. You know, whether you're a social psychologist or an architect or an art gallery or a fine artist or a graphic designer or a furniture or a museum or a performing artist or a writer or a blogger or a photographer mm-hmm. or an agency or a creative consultant or a wedding professional or a restaurant or a bar and a pub or or a jewelry designer or a nutritionist or a mm-hmm. wellness coach or a sports team or a personal trainer or a coach or a real estate I'm assuming I could be pretty much anything. Or, or a healthcare oh, or a financial service or a lawyer. Okay. Mm-hmm. No matter which of those things you are... <laughs> A dream is really just a great idea that doesn't have a website yet. That's a great transition there and a good point. <laughs> really, uh, you can make it a reality with Squarespace. Squarespace, That's exactly. right. You knew that's where we were going with this. Look, everybody needs a website. You've got something you're Come passionate on. about. Maybe you just want to promote yourself. Maybe you've mm-hmm. got a business. Maybe you've got a hobby or passion. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're an accessory or a jewelry or a lawyer mm-hmm. or a, you know any of those things. Okay, now I'm following. You need to create a beautiful website to blog or publish content. Maybe you want to promote your physical or online business. You want to announce an upcoming event or special project. You can do all that on Squarespace. And more. And Squarespace gives you access to beautiful templates created by world-class designers. They have powerful e-commerce mm-hmm. functionality. They have a new, brand new, probably just released today, way to buy domains and choose from over 200 extensions. And look, it's tricky to make a website. There's technology involved, but they're Mm -hmm. there to help you. So if you're feeling angry, Mm -hmm. you don't have to take it out unproductively. No, you can call their 24-7 award-winning customer support. And that award, by the way, my friend, is a Stevie. They've won multiple Stevies for their customer support. That's right. I'm looking at the Stevie Awards website right now. I really am. Look how happy this person is that that they're winning a Stevie Award. Oh yeah, she's duly proud. Yeah. So, if you If you're upset, don't get even, get Stevie's. Exactly. So check out squarespace.com slash oh no for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, you can use our offer code that's oh no, and you'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Fantastic. Yeah, that's right. Well, thank you, Carrie, for that interruption. That was very enlightening. Oh, it's no problem at all. I really learned a lot too. I'm Carol. I'm going to keep talking now. You know, most people don't have the opportunity to go to a rage room and hit a car or whatever. Uh, Usually it will come out, like you said, hitting an appliance, you know, like... My printer. Yeah. (laughs) How is it doing? It's doing fine. It's not happy, but it's doing fine. At the rage room, you can buy a package with printers, by the way. Really? That was my big regret. I I wish that we'd gotten a VCR or a printer. Yeah, me too. (laughs) I read something about how printers are the main source of techno fury. Oh, believe it. Oh, Oh, I don't have a printer anymore. I send everything to FedEx and I go pick it up. I hundred you know, paper jam, yeah, yeah ra- forget it. rage. But okay. you know, for most people, it is like hitting the mm-hmm. appliance, the TV, the computer monitor, the the keyboard, the thing around us that's not the actual mm-hmm. object of our rage. Putting a fist through a wall. What does what that do do? signify? What's gone wrong in that situation? Has something gone wrong that you've gone that far? All right. So here you are, and you're angry. Let's just say. Let's start from there. Person is really angry. 
for reason, you know, they've been mistreated at work or they're in a bad split or whatever the reason, they're, you're really, really angry. What should you do with all the energy of that anger? Mm-hmm. Okay, so the popular American version, do something aggressive, you know, hit, kick, scream, shout. Yeah, Twain said to swear after you're done swear, counting. Swear, yeah, exactly. As I said before, that's not going to accomplish anything and it's not going to be very helpful and it's certainly not going to reduce your feeling of anger. But the question then is what to do with that energy to give you space between feeling angry and behaving in a way that you will later regret. Mm. My husband was an actor and boy, I don't have to tell you here in Hollywood that this is an exasperating profession full Mm. of Mm. frustrations, disappointments, and furies. Sure. And he would come home and bake bread. He said, you cannot imagine what a fabulous therapeutic intervention that is. Now, there are no baked bread rooms, I bet, but there should be. There should be. Because first of all, he says, how therapeutic this is. You get to really knead that dough, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. You get to work on that dough. It's physical. And then at the end, you have a fabulous loaf of bread. I really needed that. (laughs) (laughs) Is that good or what? Anyway, so people do other things. I I was going to ask later what kind of room you would create. So we'd have a a bread baking room. That's a very, very useful one because of the outcome. Not only do you feel better and you you put time between your terrible audition where they insulted you and the outcome, but you have this great bread. But there are many things that people do that are calming rather than energizing. You see, that is the goal. Uh The goal is to soothe your arousal, not add fi- more fuel to it. So mm-hmm. people do many things. Dancing, put on the music and dance, you know. How can you be grumpy when you're dancing, mm. you know? Go see a Charlie Chaplin movie or Laurel and Hardy. Go back to the classics and just when I was a grumpy little kid, my dad would take me to the silent movie theater and say, we are now going to watch <laughs> Laurel and Hardy. Mm. You cannot be a grumpy child and watch Laurel and Hardy. Mm-hmm. Meaning, <laughs> meaning find something funny, something okay. charming, something that isn't compatible with feeling mm-hmm. angry. Mm-hmm. And, and it takes it you out different. of it. Yeah, it takes you out of it. And I think we're lucky most of us have the opportunity to do that. You know, I think like if I was in a situation where my car just got impounded and towed and now it's being sent to be destroyed at a rage room or something by, you know, people oh. can afford 240 bucks, you know, mm-hmm. and then like I'm going to court and, you know, I'm thinking of like yeah. these kind of perpetuating mm-hmm. cycles mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. lack of resources. When you have such like a runaway situation that you don't have control over and justified anger and rage. Oh, yeah. I don't know, does that change the the dynamic, the situation, how you deal with it? Well, I'm glad I'm really glad you mentioned this because of course, thanks to the pandemic, or I should say, accelerated by the pandemic, people are really suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Suffering from the losses of activities they enjoyed, uh, the loss of ambitions they had for themselves, often the deterioration of relationships that couldn't survive the fault line break. The increasing what feels like a breakdown of many of the things we expect of our government and our cities, Mm -hmm. there are constant sources of anger, loss, and rage. There's just no question. I mean, everybody I know is suffering in one way or another Mm -hmm. with these emotions. Mm -hmm. They're very, very difficult. (laughs) Having your car towed? Yes, I know about that one. Mm. Well, you know, it's the reason, I think, for the rise of mindfulness, exercises, yoga, meditation, music. These are all Mm body-calming techniques. Mm -hmm. Anything that can do two things, 
distract the mind from ruminating and fulminating on the injustice of things. Hmm. Anything that can help us rank which battle we wish to fight Mm -hmm. and which ones we have to let go Mm -hmm. would be a good intervention. See, So there's two goals. One is calming the body. Many people self-medicate, you know, that's, mm-hmm. we know this problem. People yeah. are drinking too much, taking too many drugs. Right. That's the big self-medicating. To just remove themselves from the situation. Exactly. Others, um, you know, line dancing, whatever it is, whatever is the thing that gives you joy, yeah. find the joy because the joy is there. <laughs> a year, a couple of years ago, I was in a parking lot and a woman walked by as a big truck came by and his was at nighttime and his lights were off so she just said to him turn your lights on you know your lights are off mm-hmm. and he yelled fuck you lady <laughs> wow. and she said really where when <laughs> <laughs> oh i like her well she gave such joy to everybody who happened to, to observe <laughs> but you see it that's a sort of verbal aikido where you take the anger coming toward you and instead mm-hmm. of trying to push it back push back against it with by meeting it in kind, you let it flow over your head and you reply with something completely unexpected <laughs> and funny mm-hmm. if possible. Because mm-hmm. then the person mm-hmm. is defanged. To toot my own horn. This yes. happened to me recently. Okay. Okay, let's see. So it. I had my tonsils removed mm. like two months ago. Does that sound right? Something Three months like ago. Yeah. Recently. Oh dear. And I knew like, okay, strangers are gonna be talking to me and I won't be able to respond. I'm gonna think ahead. So I carried around a little notepad that said I had my tonsils removed recently. I can't speak. And I was walking to Starbucks where I had pre-ordered my coffee on an app so I wouldn't have to talk to anyone, but I still brought my piece of paper. And I passed by someone um, who was cleaning the street. And I, you know, I try to always say hello to those people, but couldn't in this case. And he said, hello. And he looked me right in the eyes. And I thought, oh, no. And I just sort of held up one hand, hello. And he said, or not, very annoyed. And I'm sure he had been in this disempowering situation often, and he assumed I was one of those people just ignoring him. Fair enough. And you could have responded angrily. Right. Well, maybe. But (laughs) I guess I could have raised a fist. Sure. But I had thought ahead. I had my piece of paper, and I pulled it out. And I stood there kind of holding it for a second. But something interesting happened as we were standing there, which is that he realized she stopped. Mm. What do mm-hmm. I do now? So he continued to look down, <laughs> sweeping the street, just Aww. not looking at me. And I was like, I'm going to wait this out. And I'm just holding my little sign. <laughs> Finally, he looked up and he saw it. And he, and you know, wow. kind of this like embarrassed yeah. gratefulness came over his face. And he said, oh, I'm sorry. And I said, and I, you know, very weakly. Yeah. Said, I get it. I get it. It's yeah. okay. See, um, but it was the, really nice. Really, really nice. nice Those little connections. And you notice not only... Are you feeling good about it now? Mm-hmm. They affect your whole day. Yeah. When I was backing out of this driveway at my house, and it's not an easy thing. Sometimes people going up and down, and they don't like stopping because there's a mere stop sign. <laughs> Why do I have to sign at a stop at a stop sign? That seems wrong. <laughs> anyway, it was a truck, and there was three guys in the front seat, and they motioned for me to come out and make my <clears> turn. And I came out, I blew him a kiss, they all waved and shut, and it was like such a sweet, (laughs) Mm -hmm. it was just sweet. Mm -hmm. And it makes you feel good because to make a human connection like that is is very important. And in these times where people are feeling so isolated from each other, from the world, from the world we all used to know, Mm -hmm. those acts seem to go a lot further now. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because they feel rarer, don't they? It, it creates a domino effect because if you do have that angry, you know, you could have just flipped the guy off or something yeah, and walked and then down. privately mm-hmm. been like, I had my fucking tonsils and, out. And then yeah. you would have been just a little more upset with the next person you saw yeah, right off totally. the bat. And he would have too. Yep. But when you have that nice little interaction with the stop sign and everybody, you know, having a little bit of kumbaya, yeah. uh, that, that pays off well in the next interaction as well. It increases the odds that it will be a positive one. And now you know what to say when someone says, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, where? <laughs> where? I, I okay, just had my right tonsils now? out. Right now? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, let me get a sign. Let me get a Um, On the subject of catharsis, Mm -hmm. I will say as a child of the 80s and 90s, your your position on catharsis poses a problem for kids who grew up on video games. So so you you Mm. make the point in your book that, you know, acting these things out, even symbolically, can actually increase your aggression. How does that? Oh, God, I'm crossing my fingers here, Carl. How does it play out for kids who are playing video games? Say it's fine. Say it's fine. Don't worry. Don't worry. Okay, no tell way. us. Tell okay. us why it's fine. Well, first of all, it's extremely <laughs> interesting that as video games exploded in popularity, yeah. violence in this country was declining. Yeah. You, you had two interacting lines, one rising, one falling. Okay. So there was no direct relationship between the amount of hours that kids were watching, spending on video games and on their becoming violent, sadistic psychopaths. So there's okay. not a, a correlation there to explain. Not. So far, there's not. Okay. This has been a huge issue right along for everybody. Its, yeah. it's predecessors were comic books right. in mm-hmm. the 40s. Mm-hmm. Comic books are ruining the youth of America. Because mm-hmm. um, this could be seen as rehearsal of violent acts. Comic books? No, I'm sorry, of, of video games. Oh, video games. Well, hmm. cops and robbers, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. you know. The research, so research on well, b- before video games, the great question was violence on television, whether on in cartoons or whether oh, watching yeah. westerns yeah. or watching you know any. I mean, all, so many, so much violence on American television. Thousands of acts of murders. Yeah, Yosemite yeah. Sam, guns a blazing. Guns a blazing. So I mean, video games just took that to another level and another medium, but they weren't really any different from the kinds of violence that kids could see otherwise. Yeah. And so I have a guess about why that is, but why is go that? Ahead. Okay, my guess is when you're playing a video game, if you're not thinking about how much you hate dad and acting it out in the video game, <laughs> then it doesn't become this sort of directed anger that you're rehearsing. It's, it's just a, a separate thing. It's a, it's a game. It's not real to you. There's okay. no direct object. By definition, it's yeah. a game. Yeah. You know? Okay. So no, it isn't real. Actually, there, I just read some interesting thing suggesting that the amount of time that kids spend on video games is beneficial for the one reason that it is one of the few things they do in life that is focused without interruptions mm. Mm. from oh, yeah. their media. And mm. that that's you know, a good thing for mental focus. Be that as it may. This issue, though, of TV violence and aggression has been going on for many years since the 60s. Sure has, yeah. And there's two schools. Yes, it absolutely increases children's aggressive tendencies when they watch it, but that turns out to be true for kids who are aggressive. Aggressive children, children who are from families where there's a lot of violence and aggression just as the background in the family, are mm-hmm. drawn to watching violent okay. television. Mm-hmm. But that's not uh, but causal. So the, it's not causal, exactly. Right. So you have to watch the causal issue, of course. It's reversed um, in that sense. It's reversed in that sense. They're drawn to it, but that most kids, if they're just you know regular kids and they're watching violent TV or playing video games, it has no... Say it doesn't um, shift becoming, the society, and I think that your explanation is exactly right. The point about catharsis is not just that you're walking around catharding somehow. <laughs> is that a verb? <laughs> Should be. I do okay. that after I eat okay, a lot of beans. Did somebody uh, cathart? Yeah, <laughs> someone cathart. Right, exactly. 
you made the point quite accurately. A catharsis is supposed to be about the per- directed at the person mm-hmm. or reason that you're angry. Yeah. Um, so it may not be, be that car or that bottle that you're hitting. It, yeah. It, so it's displaced just to begin with. But, you know, once again, the the suggestion that, you know, if you're really, really mad at your dad, you should just, you know, get in here and, well, and be thinking of him or, you know, be pounding right. his face when you're pounding. That's quite a different thing. Um, okay. And, you know, one of the things, we, you know, I say in the, in the book that catharsis is beneficial if you feel that you've directed your rage at somebody directly and that that person does not respond in kind, which is annoying because mm-hmm. people tend to respond in kind when you mm-hmm. ventilate mm-hmm. at them, mm-hmm. and that you feel that justice has been restored by your act of catharsis with them. All things um, I have no control over. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you, I, one of the reasons for the rage we see on the internet is that when you can be anonymous, when there's no feed, immediate feedback from the mm, person you've mm-hmm. just been so rude toward mm-hmm. or mm. insulted so badly, you can say any damn thing with no consequences. So, of course, that's exactly what right. people will do, yeah. is say any damned thing with no consequences, and more and more awful things with no consequences. In the book, I tell the story of a relative of mine whose father was just horrific to her, horrific, son-of-a-bitch guy, and finally, as... Uh, a grown-up, she got up her nerve, and it did was her nerve to tell him why she was so angry at him and how she had felt so let down by him and so mm. demoralized by him. And she really told him off, which she had wanted to do all her life. Okay. okay. And she and? said, afterward, I felt as light as a feather. Okay. Until? I'd finally said what I wanted to say. Yeah. Okay. Fine. For her, saying that to him that way was cathartic because for just those reasons. There was a direct object. Direct object. She got to say it just as angrily as she wanted. She got to say everything that had been on her mind for years. Now, he did not respond. Okay. (laughs) He did not respond. Had he said... Well, if you hadn't been such an awful kid, maybe I'd have been nicer to you. Mm-hmm. Or you been remember be- this completely different from exactly. me. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, so no, he no. kind of gave her a gift in just sort of sitting there and taking it. He did. Mm-hmm. He did. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, absolutely interesting. Did. Which, mm-hmm. that's interesting. If you're on the receiving end of one of those cathartic dumps, mm-hmm. that is a gift that you can give is just to hear it out. Mm-hmm. And then maybe later on, see if there's some way you can insert yourself into the conversation. Right. You know, and of course, one of the things Elliot and I say in Mistakes Were Made is... If you apologize for your behavior, which is what the angry person wants to hear mm-hmm. very often, you can't attach an excuse. Yes, mm. you're right. It not was really thoughtless of me not to visit you in the hospital. But, but I had, but, but, but I had, but. No, yeah. mm-hmm. it was thoughtless of me not to visit you in the hospital. Full stop. Full stop. Yeah. As long as that's how you feel about it. Yes. Which but, really but complicates things again. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, not nobody, but yeah. yeah. Another uh, constant refrain I'm hearing here is, I think, another brilliant piece of advice, which I always associate with the serenity prayer, the mm-hmm. distinction between the things that you have control over and the mm-hmm. things that you don't. That's a really important distinction in dealing with anger. It completely is. We are a controlling culture. We are American Westerners, <laughs> and mm-hmm. we believe we believe in the importance of well, what psychologists call primary control rather than secondary. In primary mm-hmm. control, 
you take charge. You believe that you are the captain of your ship and the master of your fate, and you can do anything, and you can fight disease, and you can fight death, and you can fight the bad guys. <laughs> I did my own fight. research. <laughs> I did my own research, so I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Secondary control is a more accepting, you know, this is, this is the world, this is nature, mm. these things happen, I have to live with this, I have to absorb this, and so forth. And both of these strategies in the world have good and bad aspects mm. to them. It's good to think you can fight back against City Hall, and sometimes you got to let it go. And, of course, the secondary control idea that things happen and I have no control is going to prevent... And I'm going to let that be okay. Not going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, this is all just making me think we should do a... Our podcast should be about how good stoicism is. <laughs> that sort of th- becomes the lesson of, like, I don't know, a good 18% of our investigations. Yeah. Stoicism, you know... I think I've been thinking a lot recently about the difference across generations mm. and how we are the talky talk generation, you know, where, mm. where, where the idea that talking is the best thing to do mm, always. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> can, you, can you say that in the mic? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Sort of endless analyzing of yep. feelings and causes and emotions, and so, which we may know or which we may not know. Mm-hmm. And the idea of Letting things lie. Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem very American, mm-hmm. does it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or um, very psychologically minded. A, another recurring theme that I'm seeing here is also just the taking of time, but also with reflection, the sort of adding filters that sounds very much like a meditative approach to the world, where you insert between stimuli and your reaction to them a moment to yourself to just kind of step aside and have a little monologue and be like that's interesting i'm feeling this way why am i feeling this way huh how did she mean that did she mean that in i guess she could have meant it this way all right that doesn't seem likely right now but i'll allow it what's the most sympathetic version of the other guy yeah my favorite film of all time one of my favorite stories is fiddler on the roof And when Tevye's daughters come to him and upset his expectations in various ways in the film, I love it because he has this monologue and he's established this kind of firsthand relationship with the camera. But suddenly they'll show his daughter and her intended, you know, on the other side of a field, like far behind. They were just standing right next to him. But, Mm. you know, he has this Mm. moment where he sings this little song or has this monologue to himself where he works through this and gets back to a compassionate reply, at least for the first two daughters, while you see them off the the distance. There is no other hand. You got you got it exactly. Yeah. 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 Anyway, I I think that's maybe something we can advocate in this is to embrace that that pause and that internal monologue where you can count to ten, defray the situation, but it's it's not just counting the numbers. You're doing some extra work in that time. It is extra work. It's that benefit of the doubt is exactly in that space between a provocation and the decision that it was an insult, say. Mm I mean, the common theme in in cognitive psychology is that anger is the violation of an ought. Mm -hmm. I love this. Mm -hmm. You ought to have been on time. Mm -hmm. You ought to have remembered my birthday. You ought to have been nicer to me. You ought to not step on my foot. I mean, Mm -hmm. whatever, you know, that flare of anger, there's always an ought in there. And sometimes you think, well... Why really should you have you know it's <laughs> this is um, the world the way I wanted it, but mm-hmm. other people have a world the way they want it, and I guess I don't get my way every single time. That would be a mark of 
growing up. <laughs> well, well your, your book that does not fit well on a bumper sticker, maybe why some people represent it. <laughs> Anger's really complicated. And here are a few cascading. Here's a flowchart of ways you could handle it, depending on what the situation is. <laughs> exactly. We, we've Will talk- you write this up for me? <laughs> we, we, yeah, you need glasses to read that bumper sticker. We, we've talked about ways to kind of like push anger down or, or deal with it at least, process through it. Can you say a, a few good words in favor of anger? What, what oh, it does yeah. well? Things that anger is good for make your best case for anger at what oh god carol <laughs> at home make it complicated again i'm so angry at people all, uh, my anger at mitch mcconnell knows no bounds oh okay None. i share that Zero. anger so there we go what Nothing. do we do with that what do i do with that what can i do is with it good? Mitch mcconnell what can i do for mitch he doesn't know our names i mean you can activate that anger whenever you can vote i suppose exactly yeah and then the rest of the year do you just say well, I'm not going to engage with Mitch McConnell material. I'm going to stop going to his dinner parties. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. You know, see, there's angers with the capital A and little angers and sort of constant chronic. Um, yeah. You know, like a, an app on your phone. It's sort of there. Always in the background. Know, yeah. Ready to be activated, right? Well, you choose. You choose. You choose your battles. You remember the long fight. I remember a friend of mine who was doing race relations work in Detroit when I was in graduate school. And he said, it was a watershed moment for me to realize how many of the opposition were just ignorant hmm. rather mm-hmm. than malevolent. Mm-hmm. So it changed mm-hmm. my whole way mm-hmm. of dealing with them. That's a benefit of the doubt, by the way. Some of them are completely malevolent. Yeah, what is that? Hanlon's razor, never don't attribute to malice what can be attributed to stupidity. That's a good one. Or, yeah. Yes. See, you said stupidity. I didn't, but that's actually <laughs> what he said. <laughs> but yeah, you know, people come to all of these issues with so much background and baggage that we don't know. We just don't know always what it is. So for me, the question is, who am I angry at where expressing it in some useful way might be beneficial to either of us? Carol's scrunching her face as she thinks of. I'm scrunching. It's true. Potential examples. (laughs) (laughs) So there's no immediate strong examples coming to your mind. It's a rare situation. Yes. Well, what is the question? What what what's my advice about dealing with anger? What 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 are what are good examples of anger? What are productive ways to use anger? Oh, productive. Oh well. We live in a world that requires us to be angry at all times. One of my friend's bumper stickers is, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. Uh, Right? That one? Mm -hmm. Uh, That's true. Mm -hmm. That's true. If we're not all outraged about what is happening in the world and in our country and our democracy, which is about to be overturned in the next elections, if we're not outraged, Mm -hmm. we're not paying attention. So to me, the main source of anger and outrage had better be what we can focus on on the 2022 elections because Mm -hmm. they're being stolen right out from under Republicans and Democrats. Hmm. Mm -hmm. What do I do about this? Anybody who's fighting anything to do anything about it, I mostly feel helpless. I'm one person. Mm -hmm. But you can be sure I'll do anything I can for to get people voting. Yeah, of course I will. I did hear one thing come up twice that I'm listen- I'm hearing our listeners in our head give you a but, give you an objection. So I'm going to give you a chance to hear that hypothetical objection and respond to it. Go for so, it. So twice you mentioned the other person being malevolent, the other person really having mm. bad motives. Mm-hmm. 
And so what happens if you do still give the benefit of the doubt to someone who has bad motives? Is there a downside to that? Or should we go ahead and give them the benefit of the doubt anyway? I'm sorry, I have to laugh. I was once giving a talk to an audience of philosophers. And I Mm -hmm. said this, you know. Well, that was my undergrad major. Empathy is is so important. You have to put yourself in the other person's shoes and see things how they might be seeing it. And it won't be the way you see it. And this guy rose his hand and said, what if you put yourself in the other person's shoes and realize he's a son of a bitch who's out to get you? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's your question. What if you're Neville Chamberlain? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, of course, we're going to deal with malevolent, stupid, mean, sadistic people in our lives. We're entitled well, to be stupid's angry different, at them. but I'll take no, the stupid others. is different. Well, yes, I just mean people who behave in ways that are infuriating to us. Sometimes mm-hmm. on a one-off basis. Sometimes we have to work with said people. Sometimes they mm-hmm. are you no know, people. Sometimes in our they're world. my boss in 2012. Your boss in 2012. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're people from our past. Sometimes they're in our lives every day right now. Mm -hmm. So what you're really saying is, what am I supposed to do with my anger towards someone I can't escape? Is that right? No, it's not. Okay, I'm thinking even hypothetically, if Mm -hmm. I just accept some people, even if it's 1% of people, just really have some faulty wiring in their brains Mm -hmm. and really can't engage with the world in an ethical way. Should I treat, if I, if I really get to the point where I'm like, oh shit, you're one of them, you're one of the 1%, should I treat them any differently? Should I approach that any differently than I do everyone else? Or should I just assume that 1% will, the chips will fall as they may with that 1%, still treat them the same? Treat them the same. But if you're treating them in any way, you're in a relationship with them. Yeah. Well, what's the relationship you're in the, with them? What? You're working with them? You met I them on the know. street? I, I don't know. Well, okay, so here's a, male, here's a malevolent, truly racist, obnoxious, sexist yeah. pig. Yeah? Okay, so do you excuse them? No. Do mm-hmm. you diminish their behavior by understanding that they had a terrible childhood? No, you can say their terrible childhood may have made them this way, but their behavior right now is mm-hmm. this behavior right now. Yeah. And understanding its cause does not excuse their behavior. Um, no, you don't have to like them or forgive them or be tolerant of them or any other thing. Does it mean you should roar at them on the street, or call them names, or... Uh, ventilate at them in some way, why would you do that if it Mm -hmm. accomplishes nothing but make you feel bad? Right. If it makes you feel righteous to yell at somebody who is malevolent and obnoxious, I mean, if I were at a Trump rally, I would be doing a lot of yelling, I suppose. (laughs) But why would I be at a Trump rally? Oh, see, I wouldn't, though. I guess I'm asking this because my going philosophy is like, well, okay, there's the 1%, but like treat them the same anyway, because you're not going to have an effect on that 1%. But you might miss. I guess I think the risk of mistaking someone who is movable for that 1% is so high Mm. that I would rather mistake the one percenters for the 99 and sometimes waste my time. Exactly. Well, that's here's the thing. You know, again, this is in this has this is in a context. It's in a relationship of mm-hmm. some kind. Yeah. My mother and her brother-in-law used to argue all the time about politics, mm-hmm. and he would bait her. He would just bait her. And finally, she realized that these conversations were going nowhere. And she said to him one day, "Look, if you want to understand my political views, I am happy to sit down here and tell you why I believe as I do that is different from how you believe. If you want to have a serious conversation mm. about politics." I'm here to do it. If you just want to bait me and be Mm. obnoxious, then I'm not interested. Mm -hmm. I'm not going there. Mm -hmm. And that's how they ended up doing things. He was not movable. He was never going to be movable. It's comparable to today's... That's how you see it anyway. 
Well, that's how he was. I think it's comparable <laughs> to what I hear all the time in families where there's there's fights over Trump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, do We're, we engage This was in coming this? out right before Thanksgiving, I think. Yeah. So ah. this is good well, advice. It's the one question in Mistakes Were Made that I heard from people all over the country. What mm. do I do with Uncle Fred? Yeah. And what do I do with the family gathering? And what do I do? Yeah. You know, it's very painful and it's very difficult. And yeah. For each individual and each individual family, the decision has to be, where's the ranking on family connection versus my political values, and do I want to be with these people? Mm-hmm. And there's not a right or wrong answer. Yeah, true. Um, but it's for each each family. It's extremely painful, um, very painful, and it's, it's more painful than the usual Republican-Democrat differences that were in all families. That yeah. Mm-hmm. Or not. This, mm-hmm. is, this is far... Far greater. Yeah. Really far greater. So maybe a little better in 2021 than 2020, but maybe, maybe. maybe. So the, the truly malevolent, you, you test the waters enough to see if it's malevolence or ignorance. And if you have evidence that it's malevolence, you just step, stop, step away from the desk. Mm -hmm. You stop feeding it. Mm -hmm. You stop feeding it. You stop feeding a fight that is not going to change the other person and just make you feel inadequate oh starve it yeah Yeah. starve it starve it yeah okay okay i'll accept that which wolf do you feed (laughs) which wolf do you feed right yeah yeah good tool i have one final question for you i want to get your reaction to a quote from the oldest the most venerable the most sagacious muppet yoda he said fear leads to anger anger leads to hate hate leads to suffering how do you feel about that i agree Okay. Oh, great. Well, then it checks out. <laughs> if anyone can check Yoda, it's Carol Yoda Tavers. has been peer-reviewed. He passes. Absolutely. Yoda wisdom should be its own social movement. Absolutely. I think absolutely. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Dr. Well, Carol Tavares. It's been wonderful. Yeah. We could do this for a long time, and I hope we get opportunities to talk again. I do, too. This has been great fun. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, that was super fun for me. Me too. I'm very glad you reached out to Carol Tavares uh, on this topic because yeah. she was just the right person to talk to. Yeah, absolutely. And what a delight. I was just sitting there at her kitchen table thinking, how fun is this? We're talking to Carol Tavares. Yeah, highly recommend starting a podcast just to get your heroes to talk to you. A hundred percent. And can I toot our horn for a second? Sure. And tell you what Carol Tavares wrote to us afterward? Oh, okay. Well, too bad. I can't find it. Okay. Well, that <laughs> was good. <laughs> so we go to dinner. Mm-hmm. You and I, after this, we're like, we're friends. We're going to go eat food. Yeah. And this email comes in. It's titled, Oh, You Too. And she says, thank you so much, both of you. Best conversation slash interview I've had ever. Come back soon. Have more wine. Warmest Lee Carol. Wow. Yeah. I am going to assume that she means it literally. Because it sounds like hyperbole, but... I refuse to believe it. I want And instead, I think that it's real. Let's take advantage of this then. More wine. Wine and beer. Well, I hope you all enjoyed this. I I, I think it's a really fun part of what we do, that we get to talk to experts uh, on these various topics. Yeah, especially when they're that lovely. So thank you, Dr. Carol Taverson. We hope to be back for more. I also wanted to say one thing that I gleaned from her book that we didn't quite get to was if you were listening to this and you were thinking, okay, but so what exactly is she saying? Because sometimes I do get out my anger and I feel better. So Mm -hmm. what does she mean? I don't feel better. I'm telling you, I feel better. It's not necessarily that you're an outlier. Here's the most likely explanation. When we turn to our habits 
for getting out our anger or or any negative emotion, habits do tend to make us feel better. It doesn't matter if the habit's good for you, bad for you, it doesn't matter. Mm. So mm-hmm. if you have in the past taken out your anger by yelling, by beating something up, et cetera, that's likely to bring it down and pretty immediately. If that is not in your arsenal of habits, it's not going to work right away. It's ah. going to take longer. So this is the deceptive yeah. thing about habits, right? They work really quickly for us, mm-hmm. but they're not necessarily good for us long term. Gotcha. So okay, there's uh, that. Good point. Yeah, this uh, conversation could have branched in so many different ways. So uh, yeah, many additional points that could be brought up. We'll just have to talk to Carol Tavers again. Or maybe you'll have to read her book, Anger, the Misunderstood Emotion. Yeah, good book. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it for our show. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. You can support this and all our chats with our heroes by going to MaximumFun.org forward slash join, J-O-I-N. You can also support us by buying a Jumbotron, MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, or by leaving us a positive review or telling a friend. But don't tell me, I know. Hey, Carrie, guess what? <laughs> you are going to love There's this There's this podcast. podcast. It's right up your alley. Oh my God, you'd like it so much. First of all, you host it. <laughs> Actually, you know what? If one of my friends is listening to this, please do that. <laughs> also, you can leave us a positive review. Did you say that? Yeah, I did. Okay. Now you said it too. And you can go to our bookshop shop yeah. and buy books. We'll make sure to put Dr. Tavers's titles up there. You'll support us. You'll support the author. You'll support independent booksellers. Mm-hmm. Everybody wins. You'll avoid Amazon for one minute of your goddamn life. Bookshop.org slash shop slash oh no. And remember... Anger can be beneficial and constructive, and it can be devastating, disastrous, dangerous, and stupid. So choose your battles carefully. Hey, kid. Your dad tell you about the time he broke Stephen Dorff's nose at the Kids' Choice Awards? In Dead Pilot Society, scripts that were developed by studios and networks but were never produced are given the table reads they deserve. When I was a kid, I had to spend my Christmas break filming a PSA about angel dust. So yeah, being a kid sucks sometimes. Presented by Andrew Reich and Ben Blacker. Dead Pilot Society, twice a month on MaximumFun.org. You know, the show you like, that hobo with the scarf who lives in a magic dumpster. (laughs) Doctor Who? Yeah! You're in the theater. The lights go down. You're about to get swept up by the characters and all their little details and interpersonal dramas. You look at them and think, that person is so obviously in love with their best friend. Wait, am I in love with my best friend? That character's mom is so overbearing. Why doesn't she stand up to her? Oh, good God, do I need to stand up to my own mother? We never know when we'll see ourselves in a movie, but that search for recognition is exactly what we're going to talk about on the podcast Feeling Seen with me, Jordan Cruciola. Each episode, we'll bring in a guest to talk about the films that they see themselves in and also the ways that movies have fallen short. So join me every Thursday for the Feeling Scene podcast here on Maximum Fun or wherever you find your podcasts. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.